Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. It's a Christmas verse given by the prophet Isaiah some 600 years before Jesus was born in the manger. Here's the text. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And we all know Emmanuel means God with us. What a great blessing we have. Jesus came in the flesh over 2,000 years ago. He was born, he lived a sinless life, he went to the cross, he bore our sins, he died, he rose again. But you know, we can have a relationship with God even today. As we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who is with believers 24-7, 365 days a year. And so he's always with us. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. All we have to do is pray, and we can come to his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And we just have a wonderful relationship with God. And as we look forward to the Christmas season, let's just be so thankful for a God who unconditionally loves us and accepts us the way we are and allows us to not only have his salvation, but also be members of his family and have eternal life and all the blessings and benefits of having a relationship with him. What a great blessing. What a great thought for the Christmas season.
This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio two missionaries from Japan, from, actually from the island of Okinawa, where I had served uh, in the military at one time in my previous existence. Peter and Valerie have served in Okinawa for four years now, and they're home on furlough, and they want to share some of the experiences that they've had on the mission field. So as we were doing ministry in Okinawa and working with the local church there, we met the pastor's son-in-law. And... Uh, we have lovingly named him Charles to protect his privacy. Charles is a very interesting character. He's not a Christian. Uh, his wife is, um, but he is not, which seems to be very common in Japan where the, the wife is a Christian and then the husband is not. So we have desired to build a relationship with him. Uh, we really desire to see him become a Christian. I remember the first time that we had him over, it was such a wonderful time. We had him and his wife and his sister-in-law and basically the whole family with the kids and everyone over and we were eating together and they had such a wonderful time that at the end, in a very un-Japanese fashion, he blurts out, we should have you over for dinner. And his wife, a little hesitant, says, well, how about we go out for a meal? Which is the more Japanese thing to do. <laughs> Most Japanese people won't invite people over unless you're family to their home. And at the time, they were living in a very small apartment. And so I think she was quite nervous about having us over. But that was really the beginning of uh, this wonderful relationship that we have with him. And so over, over as the months rolled by, uh, we started to just have them over on a really regular basis. And it was really interesting because... There came a point where we started to feel like Charles was kind of testing us to see if we would accept him and love him in spite of behavior that he might exhibit that might not be appropriate. Um, so for instance, one time uh, I was using a wrong word in Japanese. And in the Japanese culture, you never want to correct someone when they're using a wrong word or something like that because it's seen as very impolite and the Japanese don't really differentiate between a person and their actions and their ideas. It's if you criticize someone's actions or ideas, then you're also criticizing the person themselves. And so he corrected a word that I said, and even my Japanese language teacher will often not correct me, even when I know that I'm doing something wrong. Even and when you ask. Even when you ask them to, yeah. <laughs> um, and so he, he made this correction and I just, I paused for a second because I was kind of surprised, but then I went on and used the word that he had suggested and, and our relationship continued on like normal. And he did several interesting things um, that just were culturally kind of questionable, but we just were so determined to just keep loving him. And I think eventually he kind of accepted that and the testing stopped, but it did go on for several months. Yeah, one of the tests actually was quite interesting. I think it would be even inappropriate here. Um, he was over at our house and we were talking about soccer. It's his favorite sport. And he mentioned that the Japanese men's team was trying to qualify for the World Cup. And so I was just trying to talk with him and learn more about the soccer team because I, I don't know much about international soccer. And he suddenly says, can I come over to watch the game? <laughs> I said, sure. He says to me, can I invite my friends? <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. On one condition. And he said, what? He said, I said to him, on the condition that we can make the food and we'll provide Canadian snacks that we would normally eat at a sporting event when we get together with friends. And he says, oh, that's great. <laughs> 
and we had a wonderful time. He invited people over and we had just an incredible time with him. And we are desperately praying for his salvation. And actually, it's uh, been quite a fascinating journey just to watch him. He actually attended our Bible ESL class where they would each week learn stories. The students would learn stories about Jesus. And at the end of each Bible ESL class, there's a memory verse. And when he first started attending, he was so excited. He would come up to Peter every week after class and share with him the verse from the week before he had memorized these English Bible verses. And so we just kept praying to God that he would just really use those verses that had been implanted in Charles's mind to kind of filter into his heart and so that he would become a Christian. And so I actually started praying as well for Charles to become a Christian through his daughter, Annabelle. He and his daughter are very, very close. And she at that point was not a Christian either. And we started praying for her salvation. We had also developed quite a close relationship with her as well. And she had been attending our kids ESL class and we just kept trying to pour Jesus' love into her life. And we just found out a couple months ago that she actually has become a Christian. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And she's been baptized in Japan. And so now we, <laughs> it seems like that, that uh, drawing of her daddy to Christ may, may be getting started now that she's become a Christian as well. Well, that's a really interesting story. And uh, thank you so much for sharing it. Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you may be aware, this is the oldest Christian broadcast in North America, and we are celebrating by offering you a wonderful uh, booklet uh, by the name of Why the Nativity, written by David Jeremiah. They've made a film about it, and it's going to be a tremendous thing that's going to be shown over the Christmas holidays. And I highly recommend that you would find that on your TV set and watch it because it's, a, it's going to be a very biblically sound and a great blessing to you as you see different aspects of how Christ came during the Christmas season. You can get your copy of Why the Nativity, which is a booklet that has 20, answers 25 questions about Christmas, and I found it to be very insightful. So write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And I trust that you'll continue to remember us during this Christmas season and be sure to pray that the gospel go out and many people will come to know Jesus Christ personally during this wonderful time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year to celebrate Christ's birth. Hark how the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away. Christmas is here, bringing good cheer to young and old, meek and humble. Ding dong, ding dong, that is a song, dear joyful ring, all caroling. One seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere, filling the air. Oh, how they pound, raising the sound, or here and there, telling the tale. Sing songs of the cheer, Christmas is here. Merry, 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 merry Christmas, merry, Christmas, merry Christmas. On, on they sing, on without end, their joyful tone to every home. Dark how the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away. Christmas is here, bringing the cheer to young and old, meek and the bold. Ding dong, ding dong, dad is a song, dear joyful ring, all caroling. 
One seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere filling the air. Oh, how they pound, raising the sound, or here and there telling the tale. Gaily they ring while people sing songs of good cheer. Christmas is here. Merry, 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 merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All on they send on without end. Their joyful tone to every home. Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman and is a continuation of his Revelation series. Printed copies are available upon request. As we continue our study of whether or not we're close to the end-time events, we will be looking at the subject of a one-world religion. In our last message, we saw that there's a great amount of apostasy both within and outside of our churches today. That is a natural lead-in to the subject of the possibility of a one-world church system. The book of Revelation makes it very clear that following the rapture of the church, there will be an individual who will rise to great power, who will cause all the world to worship him. That person is known as the Antichrist. A look at Revelation 13, verses 3 to 9, will make that very clear. I saw one of the heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beasts. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. The Bible is very simple and clear here. There's coming a day when all the world will worship the Antichrist. The whole world will be unified into a one-world religion. In this series of messages, we've already spoken to the issue of worldwide apostasy. A new idea developed. It was that all religions are valid pathways to God. In other words, all roads lead to heaven. Doctrine is no longer important. Just believe. This moment movement strongly opposes true biblical Christianity. We must always remember John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. According to many of those in this interfaith movement, this statement made by Jesus proves that Jesus was intolerant and bigoted. You have to deny what Jesus said. And in essence, 
call him a liar, as he is not only not the only way to heaven. You might think that no one would fall for this, but so many in the world have already done so. What does the Bible tell us to do when we are confronted with his interfaith religious system that is departed from the truths of God's word? Paul gives us the answer in 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch that which is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that a true believer is not to be yoked or bound together with unbelievers. It's like mixing fire and ice together. There's nothing in common between true believers and unbelievers. The movement toward a one-world religion would just lead to exactly what the apostle warned us not to do. One of the major approaches used by those who are trying to build a one-world church is that we should all love one another. Their claim is that this will bring world peace. I am fully aware that John 13:30 in John 13:34 Jesus said a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love, that you also love one another. Yes, we're to love the unbelievers enough to pray for them, witness to them, and try to show them that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but we're to not believe their lies. Can we accept that some of them would teach that all, we all become gods? or that we'll go to a mythical place called purgatory? Can we accept the views that some in this movement hold, that there's no place called heaven or hell, or that we must keep the Ten Commandments, or that Satan does not exist? No, we're to come out and be separate from them. The Apostle John has something to say about this false end time, one world religion, in Revelation 18, 4 to 8, and verse 23. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render unto her, just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed for her double, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously or sensuously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, 
and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death, and mourning, and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her, and the light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. A comment was made on this package, package by Pastor Billy Crone in his book, The Final Countdown. Quote, can I tell you what one of these spells is? Just love. Link hands and join together with anyone and everyone, no matter what they believe, including that Jesus is not the only way to heaven, and form a one-world religion so that peace can come to the planet. It's all happening right now, right before our very eyes. And that's exactly what the Bible said would happen when you're living in the last days, unquote. Next, I'd like to give you some things that are happening concerning the development of a one-world religion right now. I would like to give you three examples of what is going on behind the scenes. King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia has been planning for years to find a way to unite the world's major religions in an effort to help foster peace and believes a new international organization will help make that dream a reality. Chief Rabbi Yonah Metzger, one of the two chief rabbis of Israel said, I quote, we need a united relations of religions which would contain representatives of the world religions as opposed to nations. Uniting the world's faithful is key to world peace. We must promote respect for the differences between various religions. A church, a mosque, or a synagogue, or a holy temple must be embassies of God, and we have to spread this idea to our believers, unquote. He has suggested that the Dalai Lama should lead this assembly. Muslim leader, Adrian Akhtar recently met with three representatives from the reestablished Jewish Sanhedrin to discuss how religious Muslims, Jews, and Christians can work together on rebuilding the temple. An official statement about the meeting has been published on the Sanhedrin's website. I quote, We're all the sons of one father, the descendants of Adam, and all humanity is but a single family. Peace among nations will be achieved through building the house of God where a people will serve. Akhtar added that the temple will be rebuilt and all believers will worship there in tranquility. And the temple could be rebuilt in a year. I don't know about you, but when you see these statements, among many others, it surely looks like they're plotting the way to build a one-world church that will be here on earth right after the rapture of the church. Now I'd like to examine some of the methods 
that are in operation that could lead to this end time church. To begin with, we're seeing a rise in the watering down of the truths of the word of God. We find this very clearly in the rise of the ecumenical movement. On the surface, it sounds good to have all Christians joining together. However, what they do not tell you is that behind the scenes, there is a position that all religions are right, and the door is open for any and for all to come in. Many other methods are being used today to pull people into the ecumenical movement. They will claim that we must show love to those who hold different views. They also claim we must be tolerant of the other religions. Another lie is that those who love the Lord will have to rethink what we believe. I could go on and on with these methods, but time will not allow me to. There's another area that needs to be considered as we see the final countdown to end-time events. There's a growing movement against evangelical Christians. We find that there's a worldwide assault on Christians. We find that we are now being called troublemakers. In fact, more and more of the news media, as well as some government leaders, are claiming that evangelical Christians should be considered terrorists, the same as radical Islam. Views like these could soon lead to open, open persecution of those who love the Lord. Let me give you a couple illustrations of persecution in the United States that have happened recently. A chaplain was fired recently for using the name Jesus. The sharing of the gospel is now being equated as a form of mental manipulation. A professor in Florida recently made his students stomp on a piece of paper with the name Jesus written on it. As one person stated, it is illegal in U.S. schools to read the Bible. But many states require that a Bible is provided for every conflict that is in jail. So if the children can't read the Bible in school, they'll be able to read it when they go to prison. As you can see, Satan is doing his best to tear down the evangelical churches so he can implement the one world church of end times. Things are moving much more quickly than we might realize. We should rejoice in what we have in Christ, take our stand for him in these last days, and lovingly present our Savior to a lost and dying world before it is too late for him. Their alternative is to spend an eternity in hell. Here at Canis National Bible Hour, we're very concerned about the spiritual well-being of those who do listen in, and we're thankful for those who are growing in their faith by listening to our messages, but also we're concerned about those who may not have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. But Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the Lord Jesus carried out the Father's will. And he went to the cross, and on that cross he bore your sin in his own body as he hung on the tree. 
the anger that God has towards your sin and your wrongdoing and your wrong thoughts and your wrong deeds were put on Jesus Christ. And he died there for you. And he was buried, but he rose again on the third day and he's alive and he's uh, ruling the world according to the word of God. And so we ask you to put your faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you trust him for salvation, uh, the Bible teaches you'll be a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Don't forget to order your copy of David Jeremiah's Why the Nativity. This is a wonderful booklet. It will bless you. Please write and get a copy of it. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also visit with us at our website at www.missiongo.org. And you can get past uh, broadcasts of Canada's National Bible Hour. You may be aware that we now have a 24-7 Christian radio broadcast that is an internet radio broadcast that you can get on our website. And so if you go to M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O, missiongo-radio.org, please continue to remember us in your prayers and don't forget to write in and get your copy of Why the Nativity. I trust that you'll have a Christ-centered Christmas and a spirit-filled experience throughout the new year. And may the Lord bless you. Oh,